Hello, welcome to the Capital Employed Podcast. For this episode, we had the pleasure of being joined by Harry Walsh, who is the Investment Director at Tyndall Investment Management, based in London. In this episode, Harry talks about the advice he's giving his private clients in this current economic environment, areas of the market he likes, and two London-listed microcaps he feels have great potential. I really enjoyed listening to him, and I think you will too. Before we begin, every so often we will be doing some write-ups about stocks from around the world that have piqued our interest. These will mostly be companies on the smaller end of the market cap scale that go under the radar of most financial media. So if that sounds like your cup of tea, visit capitalemployed.substack.com and add your email to the list. That's capitalemployed.substack.com. Okay, let's dive into this week's episode. Please enjoy my conversation with Harry. Hi, Harry. Thanks for coming on to the podcast. Can you provide a brief introduction of yourself and Tyndall Investment Management? Of course. My name is Harry Spence Walsh. I have probably been in the industry since 2003, formerly at uh, Jupiter Asset Management, where I was for 10 years. After that, I moved to Rathbones and more recently, uh, a new firm called Tyndall Investment Management. I look after private clients, uh, trusts, and charity portfolios. That's probably me. And in terms of Tyndall Investment Management, it is a small firm uh, recently set up with kind of three key areas uh, in our business at the moment. We've got the private client side, uh, which is uh, an area that I'm part of, looking after private client portfolios. We then have the institutional funds um, so these are um, institutional funds run by three fund managers in a global space, uh, an American space and a UK space. And then the third part of our business is partnerships um, run by a guy called James Sullivan. The conversations you're having with your clients at the moment, what's the current mood like? Are they quite fearful at the moment or looking to invest more? What's the advice yeah. you're giving them? <laughs> it's, it's not easy at the moment, I have to admit. I guess the first bit of advice I'd give them is, is just, you know, not to panic. Um, and I think that's a, a really important point for, for clients. And, um, you know, when, when you're managing other people's money, you know, what, what one thing that is, is really important is not to panic and just to sell out at the bottom. You know, if we are hopefully nearing some kind of floor or bottom. But um, we've seen lots of uh, bear markets and recessions in the past. and and equity markets do come back. So that is probably the most important point to kind of get across to clients. We've seen this before, and I'm sure we'll see it again in the future. Um, But panicking and getting out uh, is historically um, the wrong thing to do. So that would probably be my my first point. In terms of inflows and outflows, it's been it's been actually fairly quiet. I mean, I would I would have expected probably a few more clients to phone up and uh, and panic. You know, it's really important again to to keep your clients um, abreast of what's going on. So constant dialogue with them, making sure uh, for my clients, I've made sure that they've got at least kind of six months to a year's worth of cash available on their portfolios in case they they need it. Because who knows what what will happen with inflation over the next next six months or so it seems to be a lot stickier than than what we were anticipating doesn't it so i think it's very important to make sure they've got liquidity 
And uh, I mean, I've got lots of different clients. So obviously, I've got clients uh, who are young, who are who are still accumulating wealth, and and if they've got any spare cash, you know, I am saying, you know, the now would be on a medium to long term view, this would be a good time to to put money to work. But then again, on the other end of the scale, I've got you know slightly older people who are taking pensions and making sure that their their income is is sufficient for them. But on the on the whole, to answer your question, there's it's been fairly quiet. I haven't had I haven't had a huge amount of people putting money into the market because I think there is quite a lot of fear out there for another six months or so. But at the same time, I haven't had anyone uh, taking money out because after speaking to them, I think they all all agree that now is probably not the best time. Having said that, I think there's a couple of clients who are um, who are buying houses, and that's typically where where money tends to leak away from when clients buy buy additional houses. For the younger client, what are kind of their backgrounds and what kind of things would you invest in for them because of that longer time frame? So so it's an area that I probably prefer, but um, you know, typically the younger clients who have got the money are more so in the tech space and have have done quite well in that area. Typically the kind of investments that I would be buying for them I mean, I would obviously have a, a rounded portfolio with, with with lots of different types of stocks, but but it would be dominated by growth stocks because if you're looking for the long term, I think growth stocks are, are certainly now after the pullback are starting to look incredibly attractive. You know, you're seeing companies that have got really good kind of growth projections. Um, the the downside risk is now kind of limited. Um, and, and as you know, I was trying to point out my previous answer, been through these types of bear markets and recessions before and, and growth stocks come out the other side quite strongly. If, as long as they've got a low cost of capital and, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of companies in that kind of space, then, um, you know, they should do really well. So, so I think the younger generation, they like that, you know, they're, they're not, they don't need the income if they're accumulating wealth at the moment. And so growth stocks. Fit, fit their portfolio quite well. And, and at the moment, I think there's a lot of really exciting opportunities out there. Are there any particular sectors? You mentioned tech there, would healthcare or? So kind of, yeah, growth stocks that have got low cost of capital, trying to uh, limit the downside risk. It tends to kind of lend itself to kind of, as you say, healthcare, life science type companies. And actually, more recently, a company I've been buying into um, with the oil price where it is, is, you know, there's some quite exciting um, oil and gas stocks out there that are probably off the radar a little bit to some of the larger institutions. Some of them have kind of cost of extraction of oil of about $16 a barrel. And if you've got oil prices now over 100 and kind of hard to see the, pr- the price is coming down anytime soon, you know, there's some, there's some great opportunity there. So if we can jump into your portfolio, can you talk about two stocks that you feel have great long-term potential? What was the thesis for investing? Yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, the two stocks that I, I've been kind of holding and I think have got really exciting uh, long-term potential and even medium-term potential. The first one is a life sciences company. It's called Polarian. Now, this is a company that essentially brings the MRI scanner that you see in all hospitals around the world into the 21st century. What it does is it's a 
drug device combo. So you are polarizing, i.e. energizing an inert gas called xenon. The person then would inhale this inert gas and go underneath an MRI scanner. Now, once you polarize an inert gas, xenon, it basically makes the MRI scanner up to a thousand times more powerful. And the kind of images that you receive from looking at kind of a person, it's focusing primarily on pulmonary disease. So think think your lungs. So you're going underneath. So think much more recently, COVID, obviously. But before then, people who have asthma or breathing problems would um, just go through a very old school kind of test at where their GP just going, you know, breathing into a tube. I'm sure you would remember those days of breathing into a tube when you're having your checkup. And and a GP would have no idea whether your left lung was working better or your right lung was working better, whether it was the lower ventricle or the upper ventricle. Nowadays with Polarin, you can actually get a, a, an amazing images of your lungs working and kind of green green parts of your lung where where it's absorbing the oxygen, uh, red where your lungs are not working. And it, it's really transforming the way clinicians are looking at pulmonary disease, which is actually one of the biggest killers in the world at the moment. And certainly with the, sadly with COVID over the last two years, it, it, it's, it's coming into the forefront. So this is a company that needs FDA approval. So they've got their drug device combination. They have to submit what's called an NDA to the F, a new drug application to the FDA. They did this back in uh, September last year. Now, I don't think it's, it's any surprises that the FDA were under a huge amount of pressure last year uh, with, with a number of drugs and devices that were wanting to get regulated. Polarian did not get um, FDA approval. They got what's called a complete response letter. Um, not because of the drug side. So most companies, when you know a new drug, when they're wanting to get FDA approval, normally fail because the drug side, um, the, the, there's an efficacy issue. As I mentioned before, Polarian uh, with its xenon gas, it's a totally inert gas. It's abundance around the world. We breathe it in all the time. So that was not a problem at all. But I don't think the FDA had a chance to kind of compare the machines that Polarian had in there new drug application, the new drug application, when they submitted it, they had a particular machine that polarized the gas. Now, obviously, a year later, Polarin are using a new, improved machine. And the FDA said, well, how do we know that the new machine that you're currently using is the same as the machine that you used with the the drug application that you submitted? Now, polarizing gas, it's kind of like boiling a kettle. Every kettle boils water at 100 degrees. And the CEO, Richard Houlihan of Polarin, is that, that, that's kind of the analogy he uses. So Polarin have had to go back to the drawing board. They've had to prove that each machine that they use polarizes xenon gas at the same frequency. And they've done that. They've submitted their new drug application again at the beginning of January. And we will find out in September this year uh, so not much longer to wait now, uh, three months or so, whether it gets FDA approval. And that's going to be super exciting because once it gets FDA approval, 
it can start selling these uh, polarizers, which will sit next to MRI machines in, in a number of hospitals. There's, there's currently around 20 machines already out there in research institutions in America. But once it's approved, it can start, you know, selling these on a, on a larger scale. And it's the razor type, uh, razor type model whereby you have the, the sale of the MRI polarizer. But then on top of that, you have the xenon gas, which you're having to sell to, to all these hospitals for them to use. For me, it's, it, it's very exciting because I think it just takes the MRI machine into the 21st century because at the moment, you know, there are a lot of very expensive MRI machines out there that I don't think are being used to their full potential. If you talk to all the clinicians out there, pulmonary disease is, 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 is a huge problem, especially with COVID. There's a professor, Gleason, who works at Oxford University, who is, is writing a lot of papers on this at the moment. It's currently actually the only, the only way you can spot long COVID in people's lungs. So it's, it, I think it's important that this gets FDA approval as quickly as possible so we can start progressing with not just pulmonary disease, because obviously when you're breathing in this inert gas into your lungs and then go underneath an MRI scanner, it doesn't just stay within the lungs. You're starting to see it move into kind of, you know, the heart and, and possibly up into the brain. So, so it could change the way people look at, the, look at most diseases at the moment. So it's, for me, it's exciting. I'm also very excited about is a is a an oil and gas company because because with oil prices where they are I think we can't ignore uh, the fact that I think sadly that there's been well not sadly but there has been an under under development in in new uh, supplies of of oil and gas and there is some exciting companies that you know are are doing it responsibly uh, and I think that's important responsibly. And there's a company in America called Zephyr Energy, Z-E-P-H-Y-R, Energy. And they're, basic, they're based in Utah in America. And they are kind of a shale oil and gas play. And they, they don't affect any households. They're essentially in the middle of a desert just in the, outside Utah. They are roughly a 75 million market cap oil and gas company. There's two areas to their to their business. They've got the their non-operated assets. So they've probably got, you know, a small percentage in roughly 200, slightly less than 200 uh, wells, which provides them about 40 to 45 million of net cash, which they are using currently to develop out what, what could be a really exciting new basin in America called the Paradox Basin. With the new kind of technologies that we now have in, in drilling, and what I mean by that is it's not just vertical. You can do kind of horizontal wells now. You can move the, the drill to start drilling horizontally. You can s suddenly make a well that historically might not have been economical to being very economical. Zephyr Energy did their first drill. It was called the 16-2 well uh, in the Paradox Basin not that long ago and it was a huge success and they are they've been doing extended well tests and uh the hope is that this will start producing oil and gas um in the next kind of 12 weeks time 
it will get linked up to the the Dominion oil and gas kind of pipeline uh, at the beginning of next year. And that will provide further cash flow for the company. As I said, the non-operating wells, roughly 200, give or take, is providing more than 40 million of of net cash for them. This Paradox first well, 16.2, should provide them roughly 20-odd million of net cash. And then they've got this very exciting uh, three-well drill program starting uh, in Q3 this year. And each of those three wells are going to be probably roughly the same size, if successful, as the 16.2 well that they've drilled that I was talking about earlier. And so, as you can see, we've got a company that's not far off a 75 million market cap that could be producing well north of, you know, 100, 120 million of, of net cash kind of starting at the beginning of next year. So for me, this is a very, very cheap uh, stock. We're not talking about kind of offshore oil and gas where where it's, you know, a, a huge, huge risk. I mean, this is shared oil. They've got 3D seismic all over the area that they're they're currently looking at the Paradox Basin. The oil is down there. It's, uh, I guess the, the risks are an, an operating risk, just, you know, the drilling, making sure that that goes to plan. And obviously the sands, there is oil down there, but whether um, it's the, the sands are too thick to be able to extract it. But, you know, I, I still think that the risks are still quite low given where the share price is. And I think this is something that could be very exciting for for the next year. Thanks for sharing that one. I noticed um, you own just under, just shy of 9% of the company. That's, that's right. That's yeah, right. that's great. Have, have you managed to make a trip out there at all to see what's going on? Well, it would be great. I would, I would like to do that. It's obviously been a bit difficult over the last couple of years. I speak to Colin Harrington, the CEO, uh, a lot. Um, you know, I probably... With my larger holdings, I probably have fortnightly calls with the CEO. He's obviously extremely bullish. They've kind of hedged out kind of 50% of their, their oil. That's roughly, I think it was just under $100 a barrel. So that provides a bit of uh, defensiveness if, if we do see the oil price come off. For me, I can't see the, the oil price coming off hugely over the next six to nine months. I mean, we've seen. Um, Saudi Arabia struggle, OPEC plus struggle with, with keeping up with their production targets. With Russia now, no one accepting Russian oil and gas by close to the end of this year. You know, that's a huge amount that, that we need to, to add on to. You know, I think the setup for the oil price, sadly, is, is, is to remain fairly, fairly strong, robust. And Zephyr is, is kind of, you know, they are very keen on being kind of custodians of clients' assets, making sure that, you know, they're doing it responsibly so they don't flare gas, for example. You know, a lot of people get concerned that when you're drilling for oil, a byproduct of drilling for oil is you have to flare gas. They're, they're very careful about doing that. They've recently announced that they've put a crypto mine on, on one of their on one of their pads. So, you know, instead of flaring the gas, which would go straight up into the atmosphere, they in fact fix that gas to a, to a hose, which then goes into a, a crypto mining uh, station 
which is essentially a big, big, big box next to the um, the drilling pad, which mines Bitcoin. So that's a another source of revenue that otherwise would have just been flared into the into the atmosphere. So um, no, it's, it's it's very positive. I would like to get out there, as you say, at some point, <laughs> maybe maybe in the coming coming year. I've noticed both the companies you talked about, they're at sub 100 million in market cap. Is that where you're finding a lot of value now in the small cap space? You know, I, I used to work, at, um, as I said at the beginning, at Rathbones and Jupiter, and I had fantastic times at both those companies. As the, the larger the company you work for, it gets increasingly harder to to get exposure to the what I consider the really exciting, you know, companies, the unicorns that starts obviously sub 100 million but if they if they do if you believe in their management and their process and uh, and what they're trying to do then you know they can quite quickly get to 500 million and and hopefully kind of up to that that billion mark and so yeah i i for me i get much more interest out of the the smaller companies that have much more kind of scope to double, triple uh, over the over the years ahead. So if you could go back in time to when you first started investing and managing money professionally, uh, what advice would you give yourself? Is there anything you would do differently? Probably I would be telling myself patience is probably uh, something that people don't talk about enough, but but it's, it, it is key to to investing. You know, I'm not... I'm not a trader going in and out of stocks. I, I, I look at companies and fundamentals and, you know, if you believe in those fundamentals, you invest and things do take longer than, the, than you expect them. I mean, Polarin, like I was talking earlier, they didn't get their FDA approval. And I don't think through any fault of their own. I think, you know, the FDA have quotas to meet and run out of time, but, you know, they're still on, on track for this September. And equally, Zephyr, you know, Zephyr Energy, I think, is a fantastic company. They are trying to get their drill rig um, locked down for for Q3 this year. If it takes longer, it will. People, retail investors, will get get frustrated. But still, you've got to look back at the company and their fundamentals, and uh, and I still think it will be a great company. Um, so I think probably patience is, is is key. Don't 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 get out of stocks just because they're taking slightly longer to do what they say they're going to do because ultimately I think the end goal will be will be you'll be rewarded yeah I fully agree okay uh, so where can listeners go to find out more information about you and Tyndall investment management uh well obviously the best place would be our website so www.tyndallim.co.uk that's Tyndall investment management im.co.uk uh, where you can see bios of myself um, and, and the rest of the people I work with. That's great. Harry, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. It's been a pleasure to listen to you. A total pleasure.